Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. And today I'm happy to be joined on the other end of the Skype line by Mike DeVries. Mike is a golf course architect that we uh, have a piece coming up in our summer issue profiling him. The working title for that piece is The Best Architect You've probably never heard of. Many people have heard of, of you, Mike, and I know you've gotten that before. I've seen your interview with Matt Janella on Golf Channel. I've seen other things about you where you've been called the most underrated golf architect out there and, and things of that nature, but your resume kind of speaks for itself. I don't think people will say they've never heard of you for that much longer because of the vast success of, of your courses that you've built so far in your design career. But thank you for joining me on the podcast. How does that feel to be called the next big golf course architect or the most underrated architect out there? Uh, well, it's always, it's always an honor, you know, to be recognized or whatever for what you're doing, whether that's golf courses or teaching or whatever. So that's a big plus, you know, it's, I, I just love what I, what I do. And I'm fortunate that I get to do what I love to do. So there's a real passion and it's a lot of hard work and things like that. So if, you know, if it gets recognized that way and that's, and that's the moniker, well, that's the moniker, but, um, you know, as long as I can be in the dirt and building stuff, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been, or how long have you known that this is what you wanted to do with your, with your life and your career? And, and how long have you, I guess, officially been, been doing this? Uh, well, design and construction of golf courses for 32 years. Uh, and, you know, prior to that, I grew up working on a golf course and things like that. So I was introduced to the game by my grandfather when I was six or eight years old. And my grandparents were players. And my uncle was a scratch player. And my family just happened to be up in northwest Michigan near Crystal Downs Country Club, which is one of the great, you know, courses in the world. Alistair McKenzie and Perry Maxwell was the day-to-day uh, superintendent on the project when they built it. So, you know, I was I was fortunate in that regard that my grandparents played there and I would dawdle off after them and, you know, chip or putt where my uncle finished near the hole. Uh, and then when I was 14, I started working in the pro shop for for a long time pro Fred Muller, who retired a couple of years ago. But um, I did that for a couple of summers and then I was working uh, in the pro shop and then on the grounds crew, uh, kind of half and half. And then we got a new superintendent the year after that and I started working on the grounds crew. So I was up early in the morning, cutting cups, mowing grass, raking bunkers, doing all the things that you do on a maintenance crew. And I really enjoyed that. So I, the golf's always been in my blood. Uh, I used to draw the CD North course, you know, when I was a kid, but, but that, um, I, I don't know where those sketches are anymore, but anyway, um, I, I never really thought about it as a profession or something that you could do. I just really loved golf. And when I uh, finished my undergrad, uh, I, I worked for another company, Herman Sporting Goods, a large sporting goods company went through their training program, but figured out really quite quickly that their mission in life and mine weren't exactly on the same path. And uh, I was getting married up in Frankfurt and went back, worked at the golf course and actually said to Fred, you know, I was like, hmm, you know, this is what I keep going back to. And he says, well, have you met Tom Doak? And I'm like, no. <laughs> And uh, he was building his first course, High Point, his first solo design, east of Traverse City, about an hour away from where we are. And 
my old boss, the superintendent at the Downs, actually was running that project, was the project manager. His name was Tom Mead. And so I had learned a lot from Tom with regards to grass and maintenance of golf courses and things. But I went over there and I met with met uh, Tom Doak, spent the day, uh, ended up helping them finish that off, you know, just at the, it was at the very end of the project and then worked with Tom Doak for about two and a half, three years. And then we didn't have another project to go to. And I ended up going back and getting my master's in landscape architecture. So, you know, it's right around, you know, 32 years ago that I sort of figured out, Hey, this is really what I want to do. And, um, there's no real prescribed program for doing it. So you have to kind of figure that out. Guys get into it in different ways. They either do, you know, typically now guys are getting a landscape architecture degree. Uh, You're a professional golfer and that somehow gives you an opportunity because you have name recognition to do stuff. But there, you know, Pete Dye was an insurance salesman and a really good golfer. And he got into it, you know, because someone asked him to do it. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. And and I think you see the people that are doing uh, this for a long, long time are people that are passionate about the game and, and find a, find an avenue for it. Have you thought about where you might be if you had stuck with the sporting goods store and, and not decided to go back to Crystal Downs? <laughs> you didn't have much thought? No, not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against that. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it wasn't for me. I figured that out real quick. That's, you know, that's that's what you do when you're young, you know. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I've sort of found something that I've stuck with. You know, a lot of people change careers or whatever, you know, later in life. And so, you know, my partners in uh, Clayton DeVries and Pont, which is a collaboration between Mike Clayton in Australia, Frank Pont in uh, the Netherlands and myself, we coordinate and we work on projects together, but we all got involved in the game in a, in a different way. And Mike Clayton was a really good amateur player in Australia and then became a professional golfer and played on the European tour for uh, 18, 20 years. And he played on the Australia Asian tour longer than that. And he, became, he got into golf architecture about 25 years ago and started advising some clubs in Australia and kind of, you know, taken off on his because he's a he, he writes on the subject quite a bit. He comments quite a bit on the, on the subject. Um, so he's a you know very knowledgeable, a super guy. Uh, we've known each other for, for quite some time. And then Frank, he he was a civil engineer uh, working in the North Sea and figured out he didn't really like that. He went and got an MBA from the University of Chicago and he was in banking and mergers and acquisitions in London and, you know, a completely different sort of thing and figured out, you know, in about 2000 or just before 2000 that he, well, I want to do something else. And he wanted to do something creative and he got into golf architecture. So, you know, we, we all came about things in a different way. We all had golf in our background and our youth that sort of, you know, tied us into this, but that's a, that's kind of, you know, that's a fun, that's what makes it kind of fun. There's a lot of personalities and a lot of difference in, in people that, that happen that way. Joe Hancock, who's done a lot of shaping with me over the years, Joe and I knew each other when we were little kids because his grandfather's cottage was a couple doors from where my family was. Joe got into golf, working at a, at a you know local pop and pop. Two brothers had built a course, and he did a bunch of different things. He got married. He moved down 
to the Carolinas. He was a superintendent down there for years. And then he came back to Michigan and we met back up, you know, just by chance. Cause I saw him at his grandfather's, <laughs> kind of, you know, it was, and it was like, Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in 15 years, you know? <laughs> and, um, so we, you know, we, we kind of got reacquainted. And when I built the mines, Joe was living in Grand Rapids and he had, his golf course was kind of on autopilot. And Joe had been involved in a couple of grow-ins and building the courses. And, uh, and I got Joe involved in that. And this is 15, 16 years ago and taught him how to shape. He'd been on equipment a lot and stuff. And now, you know, Joe's, you know, he sold his, um, his golf course and he, uh, travels around. He's, you know, he's a highly in demand shaper. He, I wish he, I wish I could just have him a hundred percent of the time, but he's doing a bunch of different cool stuff and works with a lot of different architects and stuff. And so, you know, those sorts of things, who would have thought when we were kids making forts in the woods or something, or, you know, catching crawfish or whatever the deal was that we would be building golf courses someday you know it's a it's a strange strange world i'm sure it's uh refreshing to have all those different perspectives kind of come together too and and your work with uh with mike uh and with frank so that that must be an exciting kind of venture you guys have begun and it sounds like you've uh things are coming a little full circle and you're starting to get maybe on the mentor side of things too and, and teaching other people what what others taught you, which is a, a very, very cool perspective as well. The way you grew up and, and getting your hands in the dirt like you did from a very young age has kind of, from what I understand, stuck with you into your career now and you're very hands-on in your approach to designing golf courses. What do you think that does for you um, when you're so ingrained in the project down to the level of actually constructing the course yourself? How do you think that helps? It has helped design some of the top courses in, in the country and, and Cape Wickham's one of the top courses in the world. What is that like for you to just be able to really shift it physically with your hands? Well, I, it's it's kind of like sculpture with a twenty-ton dozer. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's on a big scale. But it's it's more it's it's more than that. I mean, there's that artistic bent of of working your working the land and understanding that and being on the property and doing that. And that's that's the way it was done a long time ago. You know, back in the golden age in the tens and twenties of the nineteen hundreds, and that's that's how Tom Doak learned from Pete Dye. You know, Pete was in the dirt all the time. He was on projects and I was really comfortable. I was really comfortable being on equipment and doing stuff. So there was a natural transition for me to do that. Uh, but you know, besides that, there's a lot of things that you have to know about. So you have to have an understanding of you know, how a golf course is maintained. You know, I, I did that where it's working on a golf course. So I, you know, I have a really solid understanding of how that happens and what's good or what's bad or, you know, what, what, questions I ask and those golf course superintendents are critical people to the whole project because they're going to maintain it and they're going to maintain your vision for a long time. So it, you know, integrating those people and getting their feedback uh, during process when you're actually building something is, is a really important part of the, of the process. I think to, to getting to another level, to getting to an understanding of, you know, what's good or, what's not so good or how to, how to fix things like that. So I think it's, uh, it's a combination of a lot of different things. Uh, and you know, certainly there's, I have a master's in landscape architecture from the university of Michigan's school of natural resources. And that 
is a different type of program than other ones. It's based on environmental aspects and things versus just design and civil engineering and sort of construction type stuff. So um, I was able to, because I was already in the golf business when I went back and got my master's. So I already knew a lot about how to build a golf course and and do those types of things. And I wanted to study plant ecosystems and how they could be integrated into golf courses and provide for a basically an environment that responds to what we have organically and locally, and then apply that and integrate that into the golf course. And so that being on site and doing all those types of things every day, that's, you know, there's a lot of excitement and pleasure in doing that. You have to work with a lot of different people and that's all, you know, that's good and bad. You need all those people because they provide certain things that you, you know, that you can't do, you know, irrigation. I know a lot about irrigation, but irrigation designers, that's all they do. Um, just, you know, guys that are on a shovel, all that, all that stuff is, is integral to getting the whole project done. So it's a real team effort. So that's good. And then also like at the end of the day, sometimes it's just nice to be out there by yourself and, you know, creating and doing something. And that's, that's sort of that, that's that artistic, that's that artistic side. That's, that's really fun too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I know you got your master's degree from Michigan, but I'm sure working with Tom Doak is almost like a master de- master's degree in and of itself uh, in the world of golf course architecture. What were some of the most important things he taught you about the field when you were working with him? Well, we were always talking about we were always talking about golf shots, what we were trying to create, how that would compare to you know great golf hole or a particular element, or how that could be integrated and things. So. It wasn't necessarily about it was about construction methodology and things also, but it wasn't just about that. You know, we were Tom has this, uh, you know, wide breadth of golfers, you know, that he's seen all over the world and things like that. And at that time, you know, I was really entrenched growing up and working at Crystal Downs and spending, you know, every day of the summer on the on the property. That's a graduate level in design right there because it's one of the greatest sets of greens in the world. It's a great routing. You know, we we could talk about Crystal Downs for an hour. I mean, it's that kind. Of, it's one of those courses that's that complex, and you just never quite satiate what you can absorb and learn about about it from you know from experience of being on that property so trying to take all those types of things and what i saw in that and all the other golf courses that i you know played just from the general muni golf course to you know up to crystal downs and then tom really bringing in and then saying hey this is how we're going to do these are the sorts of things that we need to do i was familiar with equipment so that was always good taught me how to he taught me how to run a bulldozer i'd never done that so that was cool started on a fd30 fiat alice fd30 which is about the size of a d8 it's like the biggest thing in the, in the yard you know so learning on a, on a on this massive dozer was kind of interesting because you know when you're first trying to learn a piece of equipment um, any small movement results in a big activity and so with a huge dozer it was like whoops mess big pile of dirt you know so um but uh yeah it was it was every day i was learning something from tom um that was that was great it was a super experience fantastic about how long do you think it took you to master the dozer um well master <laughs> yeah oh yeah i have by now for sure um i think you know um 
because in the beginning I wasn't spending a lot of time on a dozer. I mean, I was doing it periodically here and there to, you know, create a feature or do something. So I wouldn't say I was really proficient with the dozer at first, you know, or for, you know, a couple of years, but I was able to do things with it. So, you know, if it's, you know, if you have a paintbrush or shovel or a dozer or something, you're using that as a tool. And so, you know, we had a, we had a couple of small dozers that I used to, you know, to shape the first bunkers that I did and stuff. So you're not really, you're not, we weren't really creating or moving a lot of material to try and do that. Now, guys that are on a, on a bulldozer, you know, eight or 10 hours a day and moving a lot of material and, and you know, working the whole fairway and stuff like that, you know, that there, there's a different sort of mentality to, to that activity versus what, what I was using it for, which was creating like a particular feature, you know, here or there. My, my focus at that point was was pretty small. Now, since then, I've, you know, I've been on a, a dozer a lot. And, um, you know, I basically, I shape my, my greens and my bunkers um, with a dozer. And bunkers typically will get refined or they'll get cored out and cleaned up with a, with a mini X. But uh, but the dozer is still like the main tool that I prefer to use, and um, you know it's it's, a, it's second nature for me to, to use that. Before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor this season, Dormy Network. Uh, do you have a of the the courses that you've? I don't know if you would just separate it into ones you've built from scratch, like Kingsley, or if you would talk to the ones you've just renovated. Do you have a particular project that sticks out in your mind as your favorite or the most fun you had working on? Uh, you get asked that a lot. It's, it's kind of an unfair question because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like picking your favorite child, uh, assuming you have more than one. Uh, so I have a favorite son and a favorite daughter because I just have one of each. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, um, I, you know, each project is each project is unique in its own right because you have different personalities. You have different different people that are involved. In it. It's not all the same group. So and you have different owners, different owners respond in different ways and stuff. Um, so, you know, like if you look at Pilgrim's Run, there were six guys that worked for Mr. Van Campen that, quote, co-designed three holes apiece. And their involvement was, I want to have a par three and a par four and a par five if I can, you know, in my mix of holes. Or someone that just looked at, you know, what myself and Chris Shoemaker, who was the superintendent and, you know, was the construction manager and everything, what we came up with, what Chris and I came up with. Another guy who was, you know, hey, I want a bunker here and a pond here. And, and we would try and, you know, work within the concepts that he was trying to do so that we could create a golf course that had continuity and, you know, a flow to it that wasn't, oh, this looks like three holes of, you know, mid 50s architecture and this is three holes of classic architecture and this is Pete Dye, you know, early, you know, railroad ties era or, you know, we didn't want to have something like that was so um, so that was that was really unique and, and, and unusual. And then you look at the projects where, you know, Kingsley was, was close to home for me. It's 20 minutes from my house. So, you know, I was there every day and 
Dan Lucas is superintendent, built it with me. And he was, he's been there from day one. He's still a superintendent now. So the golf course is maintaining its integrity and what it, what it's, what it's like, you know, for a long time. I've made a lot of great friends, Dan included, you know, amongst that, um, you know, over time. And then you look at other stuff like, uh, the work that I do in, uh, renovating courses. So, you know, I've done a lot of work in the New York Met area with, with, uh, Sunnydale Country Club, Simon Country Club and Pelham Country Club. And, you know, those I've had um, superintendents that have been in long term sort of activity at those clubs. So I've gotten to become, you know, very close with them. And those projects were done in phases kind of over time. So um, they were, you know, they were really active in sort of short, intense times. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, we're waiting two years because they're doing some other project and things like that. Um, so those types of things are, are different. Um, I've had really good pieces of land too. I've had the opportunity to work on, you know, great old courses. Uh, Meadow Club, first Alex McKenzie course in America. Uh, obviously, Cape Wickham's. You know, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's the coolest site I've ever seen for golf because it's so diverse with how the water interplays and interacts with the golfers. And then there's gray walls up in Marquette, which is 60 foot granite walls and, you know, full mature pine trees and, you know, maples and then, you know, pure butter sand down the south, south part of the property. So a lot of really neat, unique opportunities, which is, which is fun. Is that something that you're consciously considering when thinking about a project like wanting to do something different than anything you've ever done not necessarily maybe, maybe not. i mean i mean there, there's kind con- there's always concepts and you, you throw around but to me it's more it's I, I call it reactionary architecture where you're where i'm responding to what a given piece of ground's given me and so if it's super dramatic like Cape Wickham you got to figure out how to make really good golf out of that and not just have people go wow you know just wow wow all the time you know if, it, if, if that's all you have and the golf is really bad well we didn't do very we, you know we wouldn't have done a very good job but when I get people that come back and go Oh, that place is spectacular. It's amazing. The golf is really good, too. I mean, you know, they're excited about that. They're excited about the shots. They're excited about um, playing, not just, wow, it was like the end of the world and really, really cool. So I think I think there's a, there's a big positive with that. And achieving success by people enjoying creating how you do that. And that, that varies from every project, too. But um, you know, golf should be fun. So for me, it's it's responding to what a site has, what's unique about it. It's gray walls, it's you know it's these massive granite walls and views of Lake Superior and stuff. Kingsley is just a really cool piece of ground. The mines in Grand Rapids is a um, you know over an old gypsum mine, a lot of history in the area. It's it's like being up north, as we call it, up north in Michigan. It's like you know going going up to a cottage or something in the lake country versus being in the middle of a, you know, metro area, which is a half a million, million people. So all of those things, bringing those in and creating unique environments and opportunities for people to enjoy golf is, is a, a huge bonus. Yeah. Super fun. Your design in, in Australia, Cape Wickham is, is now in the top 25 in the world. Could you, when you started it, could you have imagined that you'd build something that ranked that high? And did you know going into it that 
it was going to be something extremely special just because how great the land was? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. First time I saw the property, I was like, wow, that's, this is, you know, drawn to certain parts of the property. It's super complex because it's not, there's cliffs there, you know, high cliffs, low cliffs. There's a Sandy Cove beach for the 18th hole that's in play. You know, it's an idyllic, you know, sort of little, little harbor there. The 11th hole is basically in the ocean. You have waves washing up next to rocks on tees. And so there's all these, you know, elements there. And there, you know, we, we knew that the potential there to create, you know, one of the world's great golf courses was super high and we couldn't screw that up. We had to make sure that we <laughs> that we did a good job, you know, because you could. I mean, if, if the routing wasn't good and didn't flow very well, you know, there, there are huge sand hills there right adjacent to it. And when you stand up on those, it's super spectacular. You stand up there and you look down and like, oh, there's a natural hole in that valley. But the problem was is to get up to that point, you know, you'd have to have three holes probably at a minimum that weren't very good holes to get there and then just to come down right away. So, you know, there's a balance there of trying to find great golf, exciting, fun shots. And, you know, in in the case of Cape Wickham, we didn't have a, we didn't have an issue with having enough enthusiasm or excitement about the, about the environment. In fact, early on, and I, I said to uh, Duncan, you know, we, we're, the, the problem is, is sensory overload. Are we going to give people sensory overload? You know, how do we create great golf and not worry about trying to add too much? And, and we were, we were going through, we were kind of walking through the golf course. We had built, we had built some of the holes and stuff, not really grass or anything, but we were working through that and we were getting down to like 15 and stuff. And he's like, Oh, you're right. We got to like figure out how to, you know, to make people, you know, be able to breathe every once in a while. And, and that's a really critically important sort of thing. You can't just, you know, every hole can't just one up the last hole. You can't do that. You know, good literature, good, good music, good, um, you know, plays all have a, a rhythm and a flow to them where there's an act with a climax to that act or something. And then you go into another act and there's, so there's a progression to things and golf has that, has that same thing. If you don't balance those, or if you don't have, you know, some highs and some lows, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad holes. It just means that, you know, it might be uh, visually stunning or dramatic. Um, but if you can, if you can do that, you're going to be, going to be a lot more successful with having a, with having a great fun golf course that people are going to enjoy, you know, consistently for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I think I was reading something from um, Gil Hans recently, and he kind of echoed what you're talking about. He does a, a column for us called Architecture 101. He was talking about the positioning of, of bunkers and, and bunker features and and how you don't want to... You, you can make these unique and almost obscure types of bunker shapes uh, and placements, but you don't want to do too much of that in a round because it kind of takes away from the uniqueness of it. Hearing you talk about 
that um, with Kate Wickham kind of reminded me of that philosophy, and I think that that's not something that people really consider. You you want to obviously have those eye popping things that people remember about great golf courses, but yeah, you definitely don't want to do too much and has sensory overload. That must be a tough little balancing act to to consider uh, when thinking about walking your way through a course. I would imagine. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Certainly, I mean, certainly there's there's ways you can consciously do that. You know, you can chart the differences in the yardages and then and the angles. Uh, you know, dog leg left, dog leg right, straight holes. Um, you know, what what point to the compass are we going to with you know, the par threes, fours, and fives and stuff like that? So there's ways you can you can sort of quantify that a little more scientifically or you know um on a spreadsheet or something like that if that's kind of how you focus but there's 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 a feel factor to it you know how does this how does this cadence happen how does this open one to the other and um and that's that's something that i think is you know that takes experience um and sort of a sense there's there's a different sensory sort of activity to that you know really good golf courses flow well and have and have that thing so particularly like when we're when we're building something we're always conscious of even if people are going to be in golf carts a lot of time which in america a lot of people are in golf carts almost all the time uh, whether the golf course is walkable or not but uh, one of the goals is for me is to always make it as walkable as possible so you know maybe only five people are going to walk it but like gray walls for instance is a, is a very hilly golf course and most people take a golf cart but it's very walkable once someone gets you to the first tee because it's three quarters of a mile from the pro shop but that's a, that's just because of it's a 36 hole facility so the thing that's that's interesting about that is there are a lot of transitions there that are that are real easy from green to tee even though it's a fairly severe site uh, and then there are some that where there's a there, there are some situations there where it's a little bit long, longer walk, medium to long in a couple of cases. Uh, but there's sort of a cadence to that of how you can sort of experience the landscape and, and sort of do that. And that was a that was a factor of, of the ground that was there. But I think it's still that that's important. If you have that cadence of walking the game, that, the way it was played and, you know, think about this in the COVID era, everybody was carrying their bag. You know, we couldn't have kids, couldn't have carts. Uh, people are pushing a trolley, carrying a bag like they used to. And people were enjoying it. People, people were kind of rediscovering that. And it's, I think it's, that's going to be one of the interesting things that comes out of 2020 is are more people walk in the golf course and are they exposed to that and thinking hey maybe i don't need to go get on the stairmaster nothing against stairmaster but <laughs> but maybe they'll think about hey i'm gonna get my activity on the golf course for two hours i'm gonna you know i'm gonna chat with my friends while i'm playing nine holes or 18 holes or whatever i think that that's a great thing about golf yeah yeah definitely you can kill two birds with one stone in that way get yeah. exercise in the golf course too in that respect how, what has life been like for you right now how how has it affected your your work just the, the state of all things currently well it put a lot of it put a lot of stuff just 
on hold. Um, certainly the planning type stuff that we have to do uh, if we're prepping for a project or if we're you know drawing plans, uh, things like that. We can we can do that in the office. But, you know, the hard part with this is usually in the spring, there's some, you know, smaller renovation jobs that we're trying to get done, you know, as soon as possible so that it doesn't affect their golf season too much. Uh, so those things were put off for a bit. Um, and I just got, you know, a couple of those done. So, you know, that's nice. But, you know, it was they were done in, you know, by May instead of by April or something. So so that's, you know, that's that's affected a little bit. The things that I have sort of on board, um, we're doing a restoration of Bloomfield Hills Country Club in suburban Detroit, north of Detroit, which is a Harry Colt design. And that's happening later this year, August, September, October. So, you know, everything's everything's kind of still on in line for that, which is good. And we're looking forward to that. And, we're, you know, we're having meetings and and things and prepping for that and making sure everything's lined up so that we, we hit the we hit the ground running when we start. How's your golf game right now? You able to play? Uh, well, you know what? I'm hitting the ball pretty well. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I got home and I had the opportunity to play because Dana Fry was up in the area and Dana did the South Course at Arcadia. And um, I'd seen it like during, you know, construction and like a little bit of the grow in, but I hadn't played it yet. I mean, it's been open a couple of years, but um, just hadn't had an opportunity to get over. And he came with his stepson, who's like 15 and, you know, hits it a mile and is a good, really good player. He's, he has the potential, I think, to, you know, maybe do something. We'll see. But um, so he wanted to play Kingsley and I have, I just happened to be getting back into town. So we played Kingsley and then, and then the Friday we played um, the South course at Arcadia. So it was kind of, it's, you know, that's for us, that's kind of fun because we're going along and we're, and, you know, we're asking each other questions and what, you know, what were you doing over here? What's going on this? I like this, you know, don't know about that. I just three putted. (laughs) not sure about that one Uh, that one's kind of let's move on but uh yeah so so it's um yeah i hit the uh, been hitting the ball pretty good the putt you know i don't like leaving i've never liked having the flag stick in part of that is at crystal downs and kingsley we have um we have these wooden flag sticks and there's a very stiff center large post in the middle that is part of that they're made by cheese bro the guys that make the the wooden the wooden like really nice wooden rakes you know they're made down in they're made down in michigan near grand rapids and um, it's the oldest continuous manufacturer in the state of michigan if you can believe that they've been making rakes since like the 1850s and um so anyway they um they make these flag sticks though too and they're like it's like a backboard I mean, there is no give. And with the COVID and having to leave sticks in and all that, it just, it, I don't like it. I've never liked it anyway. I've always wanted it out. I never want, I want to, because I don't, you know, the greens are so um, multi-layered and the compound sort of breaks and stuff at Crystal Downs. You know, you're not, it's not a dead straight putt and you're just aiming at the stick if it sits in there. You're aiming at some other point or margin and you're trying to figure out how to, get the ball to slow down and then curl and turn in. And and I think the sticks are like throwing me off because my putting, it's like, it's been the worst putting of my life, I think. 
the last few days. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just huh. like I had a five footer for birdie at number one at the Downs, which is really, really. That's like the closest I've ever been, and I didn't even get close to the cup. I mean, it was horrible. I was just like, <laughs> but then you move on, you know. So line line of sight, you think is? I think I think distraction. Yeah, I think the I think what happens, you know, it's not just when the shadows right there and the flags waving in your thing or anything like that. I don't like having that stick there because I'm focused on the line of something that I'm seeing in the grass, not the stick. And I think the stick just subconsciously pulls you in another direction because I've missed a lot more putts really badly than I've made them. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, your, your eye is, you know, like if, like, let's say you got a really left pin, you know, kind of green and you're out in the fairway. And you know, I got to aim at the center of the green. How many times can you really aim at the yeah. center of the green though? You're sort of drawn to like hit it at the stick, even though you know that you can't sure. hit, go there because there's no chance, right? You're going to be in the bunker over there, short-sided or, you know, so I think it's like that. Only I think it's, you know, cause putting is, you know, the margin of error is really small directional, you know, you're trying to like, you know, get in there and, and it's, it's messing me up because we don't have like straight flat putts at Crystal Downs or Kingsland. You know, the ball's always moving. You three foot putt. I mean, it's, it could be outside the cup easy. So, <laughs> so, you, so, you, so, you know, that stick's not doing me any good. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Although I might argue that a straight three foot putt is harder than a breaking one because I just can't force myself to hit <laughs> in a straight line at any point in time. Like I know what to do, but right, right. But that's what I want to do. I mean, that's what the tours become, though. I mean, they're just fast straight putts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're like, oh, he's got an inch of break. You know, he's got a thirty foot putt. I'm like, that's not break. <laughs> That's a guy that didn't mow the pattern right or something, you know, it could change that. I mean, that's not, you know, that's, um, you know, we've all been there like places where, you know, you you don't line up a putt because you're not gauging. You're just gauging speed, really. You know, that's all it's in a lot of in a lot of places. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty boring. (laughs) So it'll get better. You know, it's golf. It's it's all right. It's all right. Wanted to ask you one more thing. Michigan, it seems like you're on a personal vendetta to make Michigan the best golfing state in the United States. That's something <laughs> that is that your driving motivation? We are, aren't we the best? <laughs> uh, it's great. You know, I I yeah. worked for yeah, I worked for the LPGA and we played uh, Travis Point in Ann Arbor there, and up in Grand Rapids. Gosh, now it's, the name's escaping me. Blythefield, yes. Yeah. Blythefield. Yeah. Loved the Langford and Moreau design. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, that's fine. Michigan has a lot of great golf. We have a we have a lot of golf courses. Um, everything from you know the high end, private, you know Oakland Hills, you know hosting Opens and Ryder Cups and PGA Championships and things like that, and uh, Crystal Downs, you know, with its heritage. But there's a lot of Donald Ross golf courses. There's a lot of Willie Park Jr. golf courses. 
one of those Flint Golf Club. I've I've been helping you know restore some of their features, and there's just there's 16 original Willie Park greens there, I and mean, they're just really really cool. You know, they haven't really been touched, and so you know that's that kind of stuff is really fun to be involved in and to kind of help preserve and 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 keep those types of things going. And there's a lot of places around the country like that. You know, there's a lot of good golf, and we're we're very strong in Michigan, so it it is fun. And it's um, it's it's fun to go other places and, and see other things too. But it's always nice to come home, and if there's work near home, that that's always a kind of a bonus. <laughs> All right. Well, again, uh, our profile of Mike DeVries is going to be available in our summer 2020 issue of Links. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to join us uh, and have a conversation, give us a little glimpse into your your life and your background. Uh, and I wish you best the best of luck moving forward. Thanks. Appreciate it, Al. Lots of fun. All right. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.